0: Lord Jesus, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. Would you come and just speak to the hearts of your people? May we hear you and may we become like you, we pray. Bring your word to life in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're at the first Sunday of January, and as a pastor, the first Sunday of January, you're like, okay, we want to set the tone for the year, you know, like 2024, it's a new year, everyone's making New Year's resolutions, what's our focus going to be as a church? And so as I was praying through that uh, this week and just asking the Lord what our focus should be, the life of King David uh, kept coming to mind, David's story, uh, and, and not Just the the feats and the failures. If if you're familiar with David's story at all, you know that there are high highs and there are low lows. Not just like, oh man, David did awesome things, or we're not just going to go, oh man, don't be stupid like David and do this thing. Like, we're going to talk about some of the story, but I think that there is an underlying lesson, a a string, if you will, that runs the entire life of King David that I want to use to kind of set the tone for the year. And if you guys are really good, do you know what your reward's going to be? What, cookies? No, I don't have cookies. No. I wish I had cookies to give you. Now I want cookies. No. Your reward is going to be you're going to get to hear what my New Year's resolution is. Oh, yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. But for those of you that know me, you know that I absolutely hate New Year's resolutions. Like, everyone wants to tell me there's all the time, and I'm always like, hmm, well, it's February, and you've already failed. You know? Like, it's... Didn't work Uh, myself, too, so I stopped making them, but I have a new one this year, and I think it's a good one that I'm going to share with you. But so what I want to do this morning is we are literally going to sprint through the life of, of David, okay? It takes up about a book and a half in the Old Testament, and we're going to cover it in about a half an hour. So we're going to just move through the life of David, but the life of David, I think, can be broken up into kind of two parts. I'm going to call it early David and later David. You could say young David and old David, but the older I get, I'm going, he's not that old there. And I don't like that term. So we're going to say early David and later David. You could say 1 Samuel David and 2 Samuel David, because there's a big change from 1 Samuel to 2 Samuel, the books where his story is told. You could say the story of David and King David, because in 1 Samuel, he's not yet king, and in 2 Samuel, he is king. But there's a major shift that happens in there that kind of, almost separates his life into two distinct parts. So early David and later David. Does that make sense? You guys understand where I'm going there? Okay. So let's talk a little bit about early David. Early David, his life was marked by strength and perseverance and faith. When we read in the life of early David, we find just some of these incredible feats and these things that we go, whoa, no way. Most of the time when we talk about the David we want to be like, we talk about early David. What are some of the examples of early David's strength and perseverance and faith? What are some of the stories that come to mind when we think about like that David, mountaintop David? Goliath. David and Goliath. I'm so glad that was the first one. Otherwise, I would be like, church, <laughs> we'd have to stop and read the whole thing. Okay, <laughs> David and Goliath. What else? What else? Okay, he killed a lion. What was that one? Okay, he killed a lion, but he didn't kill Saul. Okay, cool. Anything else come to mind? What are some examples of his, his strength? Listen, when I say strength, I don't just mean like physical strength. I mean like strength of character. He had this internal strength that far outweighed any physical feats that he did. His strength, his perseverance, his faith. Any other examples come to mind? Okay. David had this uh, incredibly difficult situation in his life where one of his children died. And David had the strength to get up and actually go even praise the Lord afterwards. Like, yeah. I saw another hand. Yeah. Okay. Jonathan is my favorite character in all of Scripture, aside from Jesus. You have to say Jesus. I get it. But when it comes to just people, like reading their story, and like just, it captures your heart. David had this incredible relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan, that just blows my mind. I, I love the relationship between those two. I want to look at three specific examples of early David and his strength, his perseverance, his faith that he put on display. And like most stories, we're going to start in the beginning. The first place I want to start is David with his family. David was the youngest of eight brothers. We've got some big families in here. Anyone the youngest of eight or more? Yeah, me neither, okay? I was the youngest of three, and that was hard enough. I can't imagine having seven older brothers ahead of you, but this is the situation that, that David is born into, and he has some different trials that happen in his family situation. So before we get into that, let me kind of set the stage a little bit for what was going on in Israel at the time. Israel had been in the Promised Land for a couple hundred years at this point, and they had been letting, being led by what was called judges, that When we think of judges, we think someone who sits on a bench and bangs a gavel. These were basically like prophets of the Lord, leaders, that the Lord would raise up for a time and say, tell Israel, go and do this, and then lead them. And they would do that. And so Israel's kind of bouncing around, trying to figure some things out. And eventually, after a couple hundred years of that, Israel goes, we're tired of this, we want a king. Everybody else around us has a king, we want a king. God says, kings are bad ideas. And they say, we don't care, we want a king. So eventually God says... You want it, you got it. And so he raises up for them a king named Saul. Saul was a mountain of a man. You guys know the phrase, head and shoulders above the rest? That was first used of King Saul, because when he stood next to all of the other men of Israel, they came to hear. So he was like this impressive, striking character. And God says, you want a king? Here's your king. And he even looks the part. He was intimidating to be around. But Saul was a pretty fragile guy. Saul was a very insecure guy. And so Saul spent his reign doing the best he could, but it was constantly, he was just disobeying the Lord. The Lord would say, I want you to go do this, and he would go, I have a better idea. And he would go a different route. Until eventually the Lord goes, Saul, I'm taking your kingdom from you. You you can no longer be my king. And so he tells Samuel, the prophet of the Lord, I'm going to anoint a new king, so I want you to go to this place at this time, talk to this one guy named Jesse, one of his sons is going to be the new king. And so he goes to that place at that time and he tells Jesse, go grab all your sons and bring them to this feast I'm throwing. He doesn't tell him why, but bring them to this feast. I want to meet them all. And so Jesse goes and he gets his sons. First Samuel 16, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, the, the oldest son, probably the most impressive looking son. And he said, Certainly the Lord's anointed one is here before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah, but Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? Think about that. I said, go get all your sons. You just marched everybody through. You didn't forget one, did you? God said no to all of these, but he also told me it was going to be one of your sons. You didn't like leave one out in a field somewhere did you are these all your sons there's still the youngest Jesse answered but right now he's tending to the sheep like yeah there's still the youngest but I didn't bring him because there's no way you're gonna pick him he's the runt he's the one we leave out with the sheep while the men do the men's work like no way you were gonna pick him so I didn't even bring him Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down and eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. This part's a little weird. He had beautiful eyes and and a healthy, handsome appearance. Calm down, Sam. (laughs) Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And from that day forward, then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. David, in the midst of his own family, was discounted. And forgotten. Now, any of you who have ever studied any kind of psychology know that when you're the youngest, it's easy to kind of get discounted, or maybe you're the baby and you're held up either way. The youngest tend to either be the most rebellious, because if nobody's going to recognize me, I'll make them recognize me, or they just kind of tend to hide, because I've been forgotten this whole time. Nobody wants to hear from me anyway, see me anyway. But we find David Who becomes this man of incredible strength and perseverance and faith. He kind of, he walks that middle line, even being forgotten in his own house, his own father thinking, no way does anybody even want to meet him. But David still develops this this internal strength and character. So as the story goes on, Saul takes the, the army of Israel to fight against the Philistines, and David's three older brothers go out to war with him. David, who was just anointed in front of his brothers, and it says, the Spirit of the Lord came on in power. so what's the big job that his family has for him to do? Stay with the sheep. And you know what? Every now and again, your brothers are going to get hungry and need some supplies, so you're going to be our errand boy. You're going to run back and forth to take the real men, their supplies, and then come back home and watch the sheep. And so David serves in this way, until finally one time he comes out and he's bringing his brothers their supplies and in the midst of kind of like, hey, guys, it's good to see you, this giant comes out on the other side and starts just screaming at the armies. And how did the armies of Israel respond, church? They run and hide. Literally, Like David, you can almost see like David talking with people, and all of a sudden, where'd they go? What, what is happening? And so he goes and he talks to people, and he says, What's, who is that guy? What is going on? Listen, this guy has come out every day for 40 days, and he defies our gods. He challenges. You know what? Instead of, the, uh, instead of the armies fighting, why doesn't somebody just take me on? You win, you get it all. And everyone's been hiding. He does this every day, and we hide every single day. The king says he's, if someone would fight him, they would never have to pay taxes again. They'd actually get to, like, marry his daughter and become a part of the king's family. Like, the king's trying to sweeten the pot to get somebody to go fight him, but no one will. And so David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The troops told him about the offer, concluding, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became angry with him. Why did you come down here? he asked. Who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? Listen, they were his family's sheep. Okay, he was like, your family's too small. And- oh, wait, that's my family. Oh. Who'd you leave those few sheep within the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You just came down to see the battle. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to the others in front of him and asked about the offer. And the people gave him the same answer. David was belittled in his family. Why are you even here asking these questions? Don't you belong at home, little boy? But David, again, he doesn't fight back with Eliab, he doesn't like "I'll show you" and like and he doesn't cower. He stands his ground. He's a man of incredible strength. Let's talk about this Goliath fellow who was coming out and defying the armies of Israel. When we say that Goliath is a giant, the Bible tells us we mean it literally. He was about nine foot six inches tall. I thought about having Mick come up here and putting Mick on my shoulders because we collectively would reach about nine six. But then I thought, if I struggle to stand up with him, I'm going to be embarrassed. Uh, so just imagine Mick on my shoulders, okay? Sometimes we think of Goliath and we're like, oh yeah, yeah like, like a big guy. A literal giant coming out and defying the armies. You are dogs. Your God is worthless. My gods are bigger than your God anyway. What do you got to say about that? And all he would find is cowering every single day. Until David comes and he hears this man. And David doesn't say, Who is this man to talk to me like that? David said, Who is this man to defy the armies of the living God? Do you hear the faith? Who is this man? to say these things about our God. Somebody needs to teach him a lesson. Again, where'd you guys all go? What? So finally, word gets back to King Saul that David has been talking this game, that David has been asking these questions and not cowering like everyone else. And so King Saul says, bring David in here. I want to talk to him real quick. David says, hey, you know what? If no one else will fight him, I will go fight him. Now remember, David, Saul, Goliath okay don't don't lose it David's like staring up at Saul and Saul is terrified of this giant over here so David comes in and says I'll fight him first Samuel 17 33 but Saul replied you can't go fight this Philistine you're just a youth he's been a warrior since he was young David answered, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it down. I rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've killed lions and bears. Most of us would go, calm down. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I would grab it by its fur, and I would punch it in its face, that's how I would kill a lion and a bear and I would take my sheep back. Like Saul's like, who is this guy? (laughs) Like, what is happening? Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, And may the Lord be with you. Saul's like, hey, better you than me, man. Like, okay, no one else has stepped up. Okay. And so this weird scene happens where Saul says, hey, but you you can't go dressed like that. Here, wear my armor. Again, David, Saul, doesn't fit. David's like clinking around. He goes, look, man, I will go fight this giant, but I have to do it as me. You keep the armor. I'm gonna do what the Lord has called me to do. And so instead of wearing all of that, he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the wadi. Wadi just means riverbed that was nearby. And he put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. I don't know why we keep needing that, but <laughs> it was important to them. He said to David... Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Like, I have a sword, a spear. It it explains that like the, the tip of Goliath's spear weighed over nine pounds. Okay, that's it. He goes, I brought real weapons. You have a slingshot and a shepherd's staff? Like, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. If we were betting people... We're not because we're Christians. But if we were betting people, we would have bet on Goliath. Like it would have been like literally a grown man fighting a child. Goliath wasn't even talking a big game at this point. He was just like, dude, this is who they bring out? But David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel, and you have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Then all the worlds will know that Israel has a God and the whole assembly will know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Listen, whatever story you heard in Sunday school about David and Goliath was cute. The story in the Bible, man, I'm cutting your head off. I'm feeding you to wild beasts. This, we kind of tell it in this very tame way, you know, cute little pictures and stuff. Like, this is a graphic story of war and battle. This is life and death. David, I mean, literally twice as tall as David. I'm going to cut off your, it can't even reach my head, David. You don't even have a sword. What? Let me tell you what the Lord is going to do because he doesn't need me to have a sword. The battle belongs to him. You're not fighting against me today, but you're fighting against the Lord. David was a man of strength, of perseverance, and of faith. So when the Philistines started forward to attack him, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. Like the Philistine, you know, if any of you have ever seen a fight, surely you've never been in a fight, there's always that guy that like saunders up like, let's do it. David ran towards him. Yeah, let's like that crazy guy that kind of nobody wants to fight. When the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet him. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it and hit the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he was done, and that's the end of the story, and it's nice and neat and clean. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him, grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. Then the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, and they fled. David was a man of incredible strength, perseverance, and faith. To stand against the giant with a sling and a stone, but the confidence that the Lord does not need me to be the biggest, the baddest, even to be the best armed. He will defeat you because you've come against him. And so all of the Philistines just flee. They see what happened to Goliath. They all lose heart. Thousands of men just turn tail and run. And so Israel begins to chase after them and and to defeat them in battle and to plunder them and to take all of their riches back themselves. And so they all come back to this guy named Saul, King Saul. King Saul has to be pretty happy, right? We just destroyed them. I took like minimal casualties. I was never in danger. And now we're super rich. This is a good day to be king, right? Any of you that know this story know it doesn't go that nicely. First Samuel 18, 6 through 9, as the troops were coming back, When David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, with three-stringed instruments. And as they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that point on. Think, think about it. This was an incredible day of victory for Israel. This was an inc- like they were richer. They had just defeated their enemies. They had taken back some towns. Like this was a good day in the kingdom of Israel, but Saul was pouting. They only said, I killed thousands. <laughs> Why doesn't he just become king? Hold on, Saul, we'll get there. And so Saul begins to watch David Jealously. You you would think in this story, if we were writing this, David overcomes this hard family background. He defeats the giant and he becomes the hero and things get easier for David, right? That would be the story that we would write. He rides off into the sunset. He's already been anointed king. Saul recognizes it and goes, wow, that was incredible. You be king now. That's how we would write it. But instead, there's one rule in business. Some of you have learned this. Never outshine the boss. Bad things happen, okay? Braden, I made eye contact with you when I said that. No, no, it's disgusting, I'm just kidding. But but David outshone the boss, and so the boss begins to look at David with jealousy, and instead of a life of ease, David enters the most difficult season of his life. He goes to meet with Saul later that week. Saul would have these headaches, and, and David would come in and play the harp, and it would make his headaches feel better. And so a few days later, Saul has one of those headaches, and he says, send for that one boy, the handsome one. Have him play the harp for me. So David comes in and starts playing, and Saul is just overcome with rage and chucks a spear at him. We've all had bad days with our boss before. Anyone ever had a spear chucked at them? Me neither, okay? So Saul, or Saul chucks the spear. David flees. But then comes back to work, like, the, like what a weird Friday, and he shows up on Monday. <laughs> and he's actually becoming Saul's son-in-law, and so there's no escaping this whole scenario. And so let me just really quickly lay out the next couple years of Saul and David's relationship. We just read 1 Samuel 18, 11, Saul attempts to kill David with a spear. 1 Samuel 18, 17, Saul tries to kill David with the Philistines. I'll kind of send him out to battle and tell everyone to back up. We'll let the Philistines do it. Well, that doesn't work. So he orders servants to kill Saul. He sends out men against his own son-in-law. Again, in 1910, he goes back to the basics. Let's try the spear again. Doesn't work. So verse 11, he sends messengers to kill David. Verse 20, he sends more messengers to kill David. Verse 21, he sends even more. That's the third time to kill David. None of them do it. And so Saul decides to go himself and try None of that works. And so a few chapters later, Saul says, you know what? I'll raise up an army. I'll get thousands of men with me, and we'll track David down. He's hiding somewhere, and we'll find him. And so he raises an army to go kill David, his son-in-law, the hero of Israel. As he's getting close to him, the Philistines attack, and they have to break off and go find them. So they go and defeat the Philistines, and what Saul? I was doing something before the Philistines. Right, killing David. Raises another army and goes to try to kill King David. David's life gets incredibly difficult, but there's one story that captures the strength of King David. In 1 Samuel 24, as Saul is leading those armies against him, David has a few men with him and they're just hiding in a cave. You know, you can kind of picture it. everyone kind of creeped all the way back to the back where it's darkest and hoping that Saul's army just goes by. But wouldn't you know it, When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there, and he went in to relieve himself. I'll let you. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So they said to him, look, this is the day the Lord told you about. Remember when God said, I I will hand your enemy over to you so that you can do to him whatever you desire. Then David got up, and he secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Listen, I don't know what that looks like. I've never been just so into relieving myself that I didn't notice someone was there, and even cutting off a part of your clothes, like how close David would have been. Talk about having your enemy in your grasp. Sword in hand, he has no idea you're there. David cuts off a piece of his robe, but afterwards David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, as the Lord is my witness, I would never do such a thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed." I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. He is the king that the Lord set up and I will never raise my hand against him. I don't care how many times he tries to kill me. I don't care what rumors he spreads about me. I don't care what he says or does. I will not respond in kind. Because he's not making an enemy of me. He's making an enemy of the Lord and I'm going to let the Lord deal with it. I refuse to act like even his own best friends were telling him to just be done with it. Take the easy way out. Just go kill him, then you can be king. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. And with these words, David persuaded his men, and he did not let them rise up against Saul either. Then Saul left the cave and went on his way. So eventually, shortly after this, the Lord finally deals with Saul. Saul and actually Almost his entire line is killed by the Philistines in battle. They're completely overrun, overwhelmed, and Saul dies. The enemy of David is taken care of, but not by David's own hand. And I'm so thankful that God, oftentimes in the scriptures, gives us kind of a glimpse behind the scenes in some of the stories. We could sit and kind of guess what was David thinking. How how did David react But actually, David not only was a warrior, he was an incredible poet and musician. And so he wrote a bunch of songs. We tend to call them psalms. So in the book of Psalms, number 18, before you even get to verse 1, sometimes they have a little description so you know, like, when was this written, what was happening? Here's the description, uh, Psalm 18, for the choir director. Of the servant of the Lord, David, who spoke the words of this song to the Lord on the day that the Lord rescued him from the grasp of all of his enemies, And from the power of Saul. So David actually wrote a song on the day that Saul was defeated. And we get to see what was David thinking. What was David feeling on that day? And it starts, Psalm 18, 1 to 3. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, where I seek refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. Listen, David was a good Jewish boy, and every Jewish boy knew, you give God credit for everything. David didn't say like, man, I defeated Saul, I defeated Goliath, I rescued myself. He said, God rescued me. He actually then goes on after this for the next 12 verses in very poetic language to be like, God thundered out against my enemies, He shot bolts of lightning and routed them, and he came to my rescue in this very big, poetic way. God gets the glory. God is the one who fought the battle and who did the work. And in verse 16, he reached down from on high, and he took hold of me. He pulled me out of deep water. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and from those who hated me for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, real quick, time out from David's story. We can sing that same song, right, Christians? The Lord has brought us out. He rescued us from a pit. He brought us into a spacious place. He has rescued us, Christians, because he delighted in us. He overcame our powerful enemy, sin and death, so that we could be brought into this spacious place. That's that idea of, like, of rest and a place of life. He rescued us because he delighted in us. David's pretty awesome, right? No? David's a slacker? I mean, come on, help me out here. David's pretty awesome. Here's the problem. David thought so too. David said, he has rescued me because he delighted in me. Here's the rub. If you ask David, why did God delight in you? Here's how he would answer. The very next verse. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not turned from my God to wickedness. Indeed, I let all his ordinances guide me. And have not disregarded his statutes. I was blameless toward him and kept myself from iniquity. So the Lord repaid me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Early David was absolutely correct. The Lord delivered him because the Lord delighted in him. But early David completely misunderstood why the Lord delighted in him. Think about what he just said. I am blameless before God. Gutsy. Anyone want to come to a mic and say that this morning? I do not either. I am blameless before God. He has been good to me. Why? Because I was good to him first. Because I've never made a mistake. Because I've been so righteous and so clean. Listen, God owed me deliverance. He was confusing grace With a paycheck. God has given me these things because I deserve these things. He has delivered me and delights in me because I deserve to be delivered and delighted in. I've kept His statutes, every single one of them. I've been completely blameless before the Lord. That's why He delights in me. Again, he was a good Jewish boy. He went, God has done it all. God killed Goliath. God delivered me. God overcame the Philistines. He gets the glory. But why did he do that? Because of me. God is incredible, but so am I. God has done all of this because God owed me. So let's start to look. This is where we transition from early David to later David. Early David was all mountaintops. It was just victory after victory after victory And then there's this one specific thing that happens that marks a massive turning point in the life of David. What is it? I say, what is it? And you're like, her name is. (laughs) David, kind of high on this pride, look at me. God has done all of this for Israel, but it's because I have done all of this for God. And so, there's a passage in, I think it's in uh, 2 Samuel 9, I don't have it right in front of me, where it says, In the spring, in the time when kings went off to war, David remained back and took a stroll around his palace. Look at all that I have. When he should have been going off to war, because that's what kings were supposed to do, he was like, dude, we are so blessed. I'm just going to hang back and count my chips. And so he begins to walk around the palace. Look at all that I have. Oh, wait, there's one thing I don't have. What's her name? Her name is Bathsheba. Well, bring her on over. I'd like to talk to Bathsheba. Talking becomes something much more. And David commits adultery with Bathsheba, this married woman. Not only is she married, her husband is actually David's chief bodyguard. His name is Uriah. David thinks, okay, well, it was just a little indiscretion. Okay? Nobody knows. It's fine. Sends her back home. We just won't tell anyone. She sends him word a few months later, "Uh uh-oh, I'm pregnant. And so David begins to panic. David tries to get Uriah back and tries to, like, sneak him home so that maybe they can just blame it on him, hope nobody knows how to do math, maybe the baby was premature, you don't know. But he tries to start covering his tracks, but Uriah... Is too upright. He's like, No way am I going home to my wife when my men are still out there on the field. And no matter what David does, he can't get him to go home so that he can blame the pregnancy on him. And so what does he do? He learned a few things from Saul. I'll send him out into the battle and I'll have everyone else take a step back. I will use the Philistines to kill this guy so that it's one less problem I have to solve. And that's exactly what David does. Sends Uriah out and he gives his commanders. The command, he says, put him in the harshest part of the fighting, where it's the heaviest, and put him at like the tip of the spear and just run him into the Philistines. And that's exactly what happens And Uriah dies. David brings Bathsheba in, he marries her, they now have this child. Again, people can do math, everybody knows. That child is struck dead by the Lord. That child is born and then dies as a result of David and Bathsheba's sin. And not only that, the trajectory of David's life and the kingdom of Israel is forever changed from that point on. Now listen, here's the difference between David and Saul. When the Lord comes and confronts David about what he's done, he brings the, the prophet Nathanael to David and says, we know what you did. David is incredibly broken and humbled. He is repentant before the Lord. He, he comes clean to what he has done. He asks for the Lord's forgiveness where Saul just kind of got even stiffer-necked. I'm going to do it my way. David has this repentance to him, but his life is forever changed because of this. Years go by and David has way too many wives, which means then he has way too many children. And these children start to not get along amongst each other and some gross things happen and one son ends up killing the other son. But David's now gun-shy. Remember, early David was strong and confident, and, and, and he knew exactly what to do, and he was decisive. This David has taken some shots. Later, David has made some mistakes and is second-guessing himself. And so one of his sons kills another son, and he just kind of, like, lets it go. Let's, it, let's just kind of ignore it a little bit. I, I'm not really going to talk with that son a whole lot, like, but I'm not going to punish him either. And you see this kind of, like, wassailing that David is doing. And so this son kind of gets tired and goes, look, if he's going to be a weakling, then I'll be king. And so this son named Absalom raises an army and comes against King David. Now listen, David, who killed Goliath with a sling and a stone, is in a fortified city, hears that his son is coming, and David turns coward, gathers up all of his people and leaves. Absalom can have it. I I don't know what to do. I don't want to fight him. He can have Jerusalem. He can have the whole thing. Absalom's not not satisfied with that, and so keeps coming after David until eventually David's men kill Absalom. David has now lost multiple children. He was indecisive. He didn't make decisions that needed to be made, and the country keeps suffering, and he keeps suffering. There's more stories I, I don't want to take the time to get into right now, but early David was victory after victory after victory. But listen, there was pride lurking in the shadows. Later David was about a flawed man who has fallen because of his pride. But let me ask you this question. Would the things said by God of early David still apply to later David? Did God still delight in David? Was David still a man after God's own heart? L- was later David still? We have to pause. We have to think a little bit. I believe the answer is 100% yes. But we go, wait, wait, wait." but David's not earning it anymore. But David couldn't stand and go, look how righteous I am. Of course the Lord delights in me. Now David's going, how did I miss that one? And everybody knows it. There's no hiding it. They wrote a book about it. We're we're here 3,000 plus years later still talking about it. But did God still delight in him? Was he still a man after God's own heart? yes. There's a lesson that I think that David has learned along the way. I, I think that many would look at the story of King David and they would go, it's a story of a man fallen from grace. He starts off strong, but he doesn't finish well. And he falls from grace. I think David's story is a man finding grace for the first time. See, because mountaintop David, early David, had pride. Yes, God has done all of these things. It probably looked humble from the outside. But he wrote his own words. But he did those things because he owed me, because of my righteousness, because I had lived so clean. What else was God going to do? Later, David wrote some things very differently. Looking in Psalm 103, this is later David writing this. And listen, it starts just like early David. Praising the Lord, giving God glory for everything. My soul, bless the Lord. All that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all of his benefits. He forgives your iniquities. He He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. He starts with praising God, just like early David would. But listen, if you came and said, Yeah, but why does he satisfy you with good things? Why do you get all of these benefits from him? Here's how later David answered In verse 11, he has not dealt with us as our sin deserves or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows that what we are made of, remembering that we are just dust." Later, David, still praising the Lord. All glory to God. It is great to be with God. And look at all that God has given us and all that God has done for us. Yeah, but why? Because of his grace. I didn't earn any of it. I actually consider myself blessed just to be here because he's removed my sin from me. No longer pounding his chest like I never sinned to begin with. Look, I've sinned and you all know it. But God is still so good to us. Same David, just a brand new understanding of his relationship with God. Not fallen from grace, but finally found grace. Over in Psalm 32 again, this is later David writing. And he said, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquities and in whose spirit is no deceit. All the pretense of, I've done it right, is gone. And now it's just, we are so much more blessed than I even knew before. Because even in spite of my sin, God is gracious to me. He won't let me go. He still delights in me, despite my sin. Not because of my righteousness. Do you guys see the difference? Kind of important. Okay, Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. I think the underlying story, the thread that runs through the life of David, is a story of moving from pride to grace. God still used early David, proud David, because God is good no matter what. God was still good to the people of Israel and even to proud David. But David's heart was not right towards God. But as David was humbled through his sin, as David learned where his pride leads him, he saw that God didn't get more distant but probably even got closer because that's the grace the Father has for us. David began to understand and appreciate the graciousness and the compassion of his heavenly father. Not that God just never welches on a bet. He always, you know, pays what's due. God goes above and beyond. When I deserve nothing, he gives me everything. When I deserve separation and guilt and shame and condemnation, he wipes my slate clean and invites me in. This is later David's story. And listen, he just continued to trip over himself for the rest of his life. There's no spot at the end where you just go, and King David finally got it all right again. He just kept falling, but we have so much of his writings, and the thing he keeps writing is God just has more and more grace. The more I fall, the more he forgives. He has yet to run out of compassion for me, an adulterer and a murderer, a terrible father, a bad king. He continues to pour out grace and compassion on me. So you guys want to hear my, my New Year's resolution? Good, because I don't want to tell you anyway. Here's my New Year's resolution. To receive all the grace the Lord has for me. I'm a proud man. I, I want early David's life. I, I love the story of David. And until recently, 1 Samuel David was my dude. Second Samuel was a hard book to read because you're just going, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? But First Samuel David, who kills lions and took on Goliath, and man, the character not to kill Saul, like the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. But as I've started looking at the heart behind that, I start to look at later David and go, I think he had more figured out than I give him credit for. He understood what it was to receive grace. And listen, he got a ton wrong. But in doing so, he just kept receiving grace from the Lord. Now listen, Paul handles very clearly. Does that mean that we should go and sin more so that God has to give us more grace? Yeah, as Paul says, by no means, may it never be. Read Romans, you'll love it. We sin enough as is without trying. No matter how hard we try not to, we still sin plenty but God has grace and compassion for it all. In my pride, I've held too much of it at arm's length because I'm going to do this and I'm going to fix it and look at me and look at what I've done. And again, like David, I on the outside give all glory to God, but on the inside, I'm going, yeah, but I deserve that. I want this to be a year that when I look back, I go, in 2024, I really began to take meaningful steps to receive his grace. To recognize that I already have everything I could want before I accomplish a single thing in a day. Actually, every day I write out lists because uh, otherwise I'll just forget stuff all the time. And so I start my morning by writing out, here's what I need to do today. And before I write a single thing, I write something to the effect of before I accomplish a single thing, my value was already set because my value was settled on the cross. Everything I do today is a product of grace. Before I do a single thing, I've already received everything I need from the Father. I want to receive that grace and acknowledge that grace this year. And so I'm going to challenge you. If you don't have a New Year's resolution, you can borrow mine. If you do have a New Year's resolution and it's stupid, let it go. You can borrow mine. If yours is to lose 20 pounds, you look fine. Borrow mine. This is going to get you much further down the road than your gym membership, or or you're reading a book a month, or whatever it is you do, not that those are bad, but I think that if we would be the kind of people that would focus on this, everything would be different. If we were the kind of people that put down the earning and just started receiving, everything would be different. So I'm going to ask the music team to come up as we close, and I'm going to invite you, uh, if if there's something in what I've said today that has kind of like struck a chord with you, if you are like me and going, you know, I have been in this place of, I deserve this from God. This place of pride. I'm going to ask the elders, actually, elders, if you guys would go ahead and come up here now. I'm going to ask that you come and be prayed for this morning. Come and and simply just repent and go, you know what? I've been proud. God, I just want to receive your grace and to allow these men to pray for you this morning. And listen, I, I know that there are some out here who are going, That doesn't describe me because it's not, I'm not proud. I don't think I deserve anything from God. Listen, many of you are going, God actually can't bless me because I don't deserve it. It's the same pride, just with worse self-esteem. Because think about it. If God can't bless you because you don't deserve it, if you got your act together and started deserving it, he'd have to bless you then, right? It's the exact same thing. Some of us, it just looks different. The Father has more grace than any of us can possibly imagine. He is already pouring it out. We simply have to receive it. And so if you find yourself in a place this morning of going, if I'm honest with myself, I'm proud toward God, come and be prayed for. Not that these men have magic, but there's something about confessing and repenting, and then allowing these men to just pray the grace of the Lord over you this morning. So we're going to sing and worship and just, if that is you this morning, please make your way over here and be prayed for. Let's stand together.